past week, ACC got that taken care of with that new shoe insert in my left foot, uh, left shoe. So if you see me hobbling around, it's because this thing hurts. <laughs> uh, but he said it'll take a couple weeks, and once it gets adjusted, then I can start getting back to some exercise. Praise God for that. Uh, so thank you for your, your prayers. I can't bend too well trying to get out of the car. Everything's fused at the bottom of my back, but God's good. And I'm pain-free. Thank you for your prayers over the years, five years now. So prayerfully, next time, my wife is in the States now. She's flying in with uh, my youngest. She's going to Embry-Riddle in Prescott, Arizona for university for aerospace engineering. So she's got a scholarship to go there, and she's going to try to work on some other things as well with the Air Force. Um, she got her pilot's license since we were in Fakatani, so she's very excited. Uh, but we're very sad. It's our last one out, so it's empty mess now. But my wife's flying back with her, so she'll be there for six months, so I'm empty. My home's going to be empty. It's lonely. Six months is going to be a long time. So they actually flew out um, 20 minutes ago. Their flight was a little running a little bit late, but they finally got out, texted me a couple minutes ago. I've got to put it in airplane mode. We're taking off finally. Uh, so my daughter, she got to know a lot of um, Air New Zealand. And Air New Zealand wanted her, and so they didn't pay for her flight and everything, but she wants the Air Force you know, to go into actually the Space Force. Of all things, you know, all kids have their dreams. We've all had our dreams. Her head's always been in the clouds, and now she's finally heading in that direction. Um, but worse comes to worse, and things don't continue to work here. She'll be back here flying for her in the field. Um, and she may be here. One that takes you somewhere, but she knows the pilots that are flying over um, on the plane she's on, so she's excited. Um, thank you for your prayers, and for me as well, six months is going to be a long time, but I'm excited to be here with you um, today, and um, for the message today, I've got three points, and I'll try and be timely. I don't see a clock. Does that mean there's no time limit? <laughs> preaching, is all, that's what it's all about. Um, a lot of churches um, cannot handle uh Preaching. I know your church can, our church, they're used to 40, 45 minutes. Sometimes I'll take them a little bit longer to an hour or so of preaching, but it's all solid out of the Word of God. But we mind God and sometimes 20 minutes, and it's got everything that God wants you to have. So pray tonight. Um, if you are paying close attention, um, and I can tell if you're paying close attention, God will be giving it to you quick, and we come down quick. And we'll get done and get to bed and get a good night's sleep tonight. But I have three points. Um, the theme verses that I was given was Philippians 2 and verse number 16, holding forth the word, holding forth the word. And as I study through this, um, my message today is actually, after I get the context of Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16, because um, that's a complete sentence. Verse 16 is not a, is not a sentence in, of it, in and of itself. So you have to go back to the complete sentence just to get the basic close context. So we'll go through that, and you'll see how the study, my study for this message, took me to Hebrews 13. So our three points will end up being in Hebrews 13, and each one of the points will be holding forth the word by something. And so I'll give you three points on how to hold forth the word of God. I don't want to give it all to you in my introduction right now, because I want you to catch the context of Philippians 2 and verse number 16, the direct context, and then you'll see why the message led where it was. Uh, one thing about the context, and you'll see this over the messages that we have, the four messages that I'll present to you, is the one, if there's a one-word context about this passage, that one word is teamwork. The one word is teamwork. And you're going to see that as we get through 
um, today in Philippians 2 and verse 14 um, through 16. I'll read the whole sentence, but we'll get our message uh, springboarding out of verse 16 in just a minute. Uh, verse 14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless to sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I, uh, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we're going to look at the direct context of Philippians uh, 2 and verse 16 and use this as a springboard to the three other messages that we'll have over this weekend. And trust as we all leave here from this camp that we're going to be holding forth the word of life in the context, or the, holding forth the word um, of life in the context of what God has given to us right here. But let's open up first in a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we do thank you for a camp like this that continues to go forward, Lord, on focusing around your word, the preaching of your word, the games, everything about the weekend is centered on your holy word, Jesus Christ, as the living word of life. I pray tonight, Lord, as we go through this message, that you open up hearts, Lord, tonight of your, your, your children, that each one of us can walk out of here a better Christian, a better believer than what we walked in as because of the power of your holy word. Lord, if one's not born again today, has never trusted Christ as Savior, before they leave this camp, they would have that sealed um, in within themselves that they've trusted you as their personal Savior. Lead us and guide us, Lord, and I pray everything we do, that you get all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in your precious name we pray. Amen. Verse 16, of course, is not a complete sentence. That's why I read from verse 14. And our messages are going to uh, be around verse number uh, 14 through verse number 16. Um, uh, th through this weekend. Uh, the direct context now of holding forth the word of life. In verse number 16, holding forth the word of life, the direct context is that next phrase. The next phrase says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I may rejoice. Now this is Paul speaking here, but as Paul is speaking, and Paul is speaking to the church, he's speaking on the behalf of the elders, or the behalf of the pastors of the church. So here I'm going to focus on your pastor. Uh, being in the context of holding forth the word of life. And here it says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Your pastor will give an account one day of how he directed you. And specifically how he directed you to hold forth the word of life. Now the question that's going to come one day when he stands in judgment before God. Is did he run in vain with you? Or did he run alongside you as he held forth the word of God with you? The second thing he will be held accountable for right here at the end of verse 16 is has he labored in vain or has he labored alongside of you? Understand this though, his job is to direct you and direct you in the direction that you're going to go, but he will not give an account for the choices that you make. You have your choices to make. He is not going to yep. give an account for that. However, he when he does give an account whether he ran in vain or not, whether he labored in vain or not, his account is either going to be by rejoicing or not rejoicing. He's not giving account for you, but if you are alongside him, not laboring in vain, not running in vain, then you will be rejoicing and he will be rejoicing as well. And that's what the context here is around this holding forth, uh, holding forth the word of life. Understand now that you have choices, um, and the choices that we make will allow your pastor to rejoice or not. So look at Hebrews 13. We're going to have our points in just a minute. I have a couple more points in introduction. But in Hebrews 13 and verse number 7, your choices 
are going to allow him to rejoice or not rejoice. One way or the other, based on how you run, whether it's in vain, or whether you labor and it's in vain. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with what? Joy. They may do it with joy. This is directly what the context is here out of Hebrew or Philippians 2 and verse number 16. Whether your pastor is going to give an account with joy or not with joy is based upon him, based upon you making the choices on him, whether he runs and labors in vain with you or not, with you making that choice, whether you're going to run or you're going to run in vain or not. Here in Hebrews 13, 17, it says that ye may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Unprofitable for you. So what is Paul saying to us here in Hebrews? He's saying that if you love your pastor, just as you love Jesus Christ, if you love your pastor as you love Christ, you're going to submit yourselves knowing that he is here to do one thing. His thing to do before you is to watch out for your soul. When he yep. makes the choices, when he makes the decisions, when he brings the camp together like this, when he wants to have the preaching from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m., yep. <laughs> he's making choices on your behalf with one thing in mind, and that one thing in mind is to watch out for your soul, knowing that he is going to give an account. His account will be before Christ. His account is not by the choices you make, but his account is whether or not he ran and labored in vain. His joy now is based upon your choices. Are you going to follow? Are you going to sit for 8 to 8? It's a long time of preaching. <laughs> I don't know if I can sit that long, but if your pastor does that, to watch out for your soul, whatever direction he is leading, running and laboring alongside you, your choices are going to determine whether he gives an account in joy or does not give an account in joy. So his job, his job is to run and to labor your job is to hold forth the word of life. And as you hold forth the word of life, you're doing it alongside your pastor who's already running with that word of life, laboring with that word of life, watching out for your soul and leading and guiding you that you would labor and you would run as you hold forth uh, that the word of life. So the message tonight, it's going to reveal the importance of our command, the importance of our command that we are to align wholeheartedly with the direction that our pastor is leading the church. The direction that your pastor is holding forth that word of life. In the context now of holding forth the word of life, if we align with this context, and we are holding forth, we are running, not in vain, we are laboring and not in vain, and we're holding forth alongside our pastor that's leading us and guiding us, that he's watching out for our souls, then the context is telling us, not only is he going to rejoice, but you're going to rejoice as well. Sadly, today, there's many Christians not in churches today. Many that are not in your church today that was in your church. And one of those reasons is the direction your pastor was leading them. He was minding the word of God. He was laboring, not in vain. Running, not in vain. But it cut against the grain. And some way or another, there are some that are not here today. Some are not in any church whatsoever because they did not want to submit to the man of God that God yep. placed under them. Yep. If you leave this church, God, and this, this is my, my belief upon the word of God, that when you come and you join this church, you are joining it as a marriage. You are becoming one with this church. 
You become a part, a member of the body, this local body of believers. And as you are part of this church, God does not want you to separate from this church. He has a purpose for it. He puts you under your man, this man that knows you, watches for you. He knows your spiritual temperature. He knows what to say up here. And you know when he says what he says, what it does to you. It convicts you. And that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. And yep. when it does convict us, it's not to get us to hop, skip, and jump to the next church in town. Yep. It's to remain under the man of God that God placed here, hey. laboring with him, yep. running with him, making the choices, holding forth the Word of God so he can rejoice one day. As he gives an account for what he did, then you are given an account for the choices you made to run and labor alongside him. So many are in the wrong church today. And the whole reason they're in the wrong church, they never submitted to the man that God put over them. Many also, on the flip side of that, they are in church today, but are they really in church? They're present and accounted for. And we're going to see that in some of the words we're going to look at in Hebrews 13. They are here. They are present and accounted for. They are on the roll call, yet they're not really here. Their mind is a million places, or soul is in a million places, or life is in a million places. They never get in where God has placed them at. These all now, they're not in the church they're supposed to be. They're not in the place they're supposed to be. Or if you're in your place, but you're not really here in this place and laboring and running with the man that God put over you, then one day at your judgment, there won't be rejoicing. There's going to be a lot of grief when you give judgment one day. Simple conclusion now in, in, in our introduction. If your pastor is able to rejoice in the day of his judgment because of the choices you made, then you'll be rejoicing as well when it comes time for your judgment. So the context of all of this took me to Hebrews chapter number 13. So my first point in Hebrews chapter number 13, holding forth the word of God in verse number 7, holding forth the word of God by remembering your pastor. By remembering your pastor. If you want to faithfully hold forth the word of God, remember this man. And the very first thing that came to my mind, thinking about verse 7, it says, Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. This is the word of life that you're holding forth, whose faith follow, considering the end of your conversation. When I saw that word remember in the beginning, um, I tried to analyze it. What does this word remember? What is it trying to tell us in context here? First thing that came to my mind, you need to remember that he's only human. <laughs> the man of God is not God. The man of God is not a pope. The man of God is not a superhuman, super spiritual. He is nothing more than what you are. He has the exact same flesh that you have. He has the exact same problems that you have. He has the exact same attacks of Satan that you have. He falls to the same temptations that you fall into. He's just as human as you are. So when we remember our pastor, we need to remember that he is doing his utmost to hold forth the word of life. But in the midst of him holding forth the word of life, he has the same flesh as you. He makes the same choices as you. He has the same temptations, the same struggles, the same spiritual battle, just as you do because you have the same exact flesh that he has. So we need to remember this. By holding forth the word of life, we need to be holding this man up as he yep. is holding forth the word yep. of life. Look at Exodus chapter 17 real quick. What does this mean? Remembering him as he holds forth the word of life and his hands that are holding that is the same flesh that your hands are. My message tomorrow is going to dig into the context and dig into Exodus chapter 17 uh, in detail. But the one thing I want to look at, verse number 11 and 12. 
Exodus 17, verse 11 and 12, your pastor needs his her and his errand. He needs his her and his errand. Why is that? His flesh is just as weak as your flesh is. In verse number 11 of Exodus 17, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And then when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were what? They were heavy. Why is that? They're flesh. He's holding up a staff, a rod, and holding up. Your man is holding up the word of life. And his hands are flesh. His hands are weak. His hands will get heavy. And here it says, but Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat there on And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. What did they do? They went in teamwork and they helped Moses and he could hold up what he needed to hold up. Why did he have to keep holding it up? Because as long as his hands were up, there was victory in the battle. But as soon as that word of life is laid back down, when the flesh gets the victory over you or over your pastor, all of a sudden Satan starts to get the victory. Verse number 12 goes on. It says the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Why were they steady? Because he had his Moses. I mean, he had his Aaron and he had his Ur. When you remember the man of God, and that's what Hebrews 17, or excuse me, 13 to verse 7 is saying, remember the man of God. You don't have to remember his name. You know his name. You don't have to remember so many aspects of him, but you don't have to even remember so many different things except the fact that he is flesh like you are flesh. And he needs you to uphold his hands. And that's where when you hold forth the word of life, following this man that is running, not in vain, and laboring, not in vain, you are helping to hold up the word of life alongside with him that there can be great victory. And in yep. the end, you'll be rejoicing at the day yep. of your judgment. He's going to be rejoicing at the day of his, at the day of his judgment. Amen. The battle is both physical and spiritual. You know it's physical. He's just been through... A major physical battle, has he not? There is a physical battle, and I believe Satan's trying his best to poke the men of God, poke the women of God, poke the Moses, the her, and the Aaron in this church, and make you fall to the flesh if there is no victory by the word of life. It is a battle, both physical and spiritual. When Israel saw that Moses' hands were weak, guess what happened? They became weak. When the man of God that stands up here, and that's why there's so many weak churches here in New Zealand. Yep. So many weak churches. Yep. I'm talking about independent, fundamental Baptist, weak churches in this country today. Yep. It all falls down on the man that's standing behind his pulpit, but it don't rest solely upon him. Yep. He doesn't rest on you as well, because yep. you need to be his Aaron. Yep. You need to be his Ur. Amen. When he begins to fall, lift him back yep. up. And when you begin to fall, guess what he's doing? He's lifting you back up. And you work as a team so that Amalek does not prevail. Yes. That Satan does not prevail. When Amen. Moses' hands were held high, their hands, Israel's hands, they were strong. When he holds up, when his arms are up, his, weak, his, his weakness, he can't do it alone. His mother, his Aaron and his earth help him to hold it up. Then the congregation gets strong. Why hey. is that? They see strong behind this pulpit right here. But the strong behind this pulpit is not a superhuman. It's teamwork among so many that are failing by that exact same flesh. That's you. That's me. That's the man of God. And as Moses' hands were held high, Israel prevailed. There's a spiritual battle going on today. Men of God, pastors of many different ranks today, they're being beat down by our enemy, and that enemy is Satan. 
Praise God, Satan can never prevail against the church. Hey. He cannot prevail against the, 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 the he cannot prevail. Uh, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We can praise God that Satan cannot prevail against your soul. Yep. But guess what Satan can prevail against? The flesh. Understand this real quick as we go forward. You're only two-thirds saved today. You have eternal security. You are justified, signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus yep. Christ. We're celebrating that this weekend with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You die today. You trust Christ as Savior. You're going to heaven. But yep. still, you're only two-thirds saved. Your soul is saved. Your spirit is saved. They can never be taken away. Yep. But your flesh is not saved today. One day, praise God, we will get a glorified body. Hey. If this body was saved today, I would not have needed a back surgery. We wouldn't have to take out, I'm not weak, but the doctors would not have to take out half of a liver. You know your weaknesses in your flesh today. You know your tears, your anguish, your pain, your heartache. All of this is going on in your life today because your flesh is not saved. That's the one thing that Satan can prevail against. He can attack you in so many directions and make you weak, get you down. And sometimes the only way that you will get back up is when an error comes up along one side, a her comes up the other side, and they hold your hands up and steady them high so there's great victory over Satan, over our greatest enemy. Pastors need strong leaders. They need their Aaron. They need their Ur. One on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steadied until the going down of the sun. The sun's getting ready to set on this dispensation. We're getting ready to meet our Savior very soon. It would be a shame if you today it would be a shame I'm putting my mind blank, but it would be a shame if you today were not rejoicing when you met your Savior one day. Because you weren't holding up another believer's hands when you could or someone else was not holding up yours when Satan got the better part of your flesh. I'm not asking anyone here to do anything else that God had already done. In Psalm 78, verse number 38 and 39. Psalm 78, verse 38 and 39. This is what God did when it came to my flesh. When it came to your flesh. Listen to what happened. In verse number 38, but he, that's God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yet many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Look at verse number 39. It tells why. For he remembered that they were but flesh. They were weak. God knows who you are. Why does God know you who you are? How does he know? Because he walked in your flesh. Jesus Christ walked in exactly what you were wearing, what you're wearing on your body today, over your soul and your spirit today. He walked a sinless, perfect life. We praise God. Without his precious, sinless, perfect blood on the mercy seat today, there's no hope for anybody that we yep. can have eternal salvation, yep. that we can get a glorified body one day. But as God himself robed himself in this flesh, you know what happened? He felt the weakness. He felt the pain. He felt the tired. He felt being kicked by those that he loved the most. Those who despised him. Those that he came to that he loved the most. He came to his own as his own received them not. He got to the cross at Calvary. He taught about it for three and a half years. And he was on the cross at Calvary doing exactly what he said he would do to redeem their souls. And where did the disciples go? <laughs> they hightailed it the other direction. He was turned down, rebuked. He was spit upon. His flesh, the body tells us when he 
or the Bible tells us that his body was marred, his visage was marred beyond any recognition of a man from what he went through just to get to the cross of Calvary for you and I. He was so weak that he couldn't carry his own cross up to the cross of Calvary. He couldn't bear his own cross and they had a man. Simon, the Cyrenian, came alongside and made him carry the cross for him. When they put Jesus on that cross of Calvary, they nailed him to the cross of Calvary. They lifted up that cross and they thudded it down in that hole. Every joint in his body would have been torn apart as he went to the cross of Calvary for you and I. He did exactly what was prophesied in Psalm 22. He did exactly what was prophesied to us in Isaiah. And the disciples, they rejected him. The disciples ran from him. They went every direction. So Jesus Christ knows your flesh. Because he was tempted at all points as you are. He was tempted in temptation of sin. He was tempted just by the trials in his body, this flesh, the weakness, laying his head down at night on the pillow of a stone. He went through everything you and I are going through. Yet he was a sinless son of God. Hey. The Lamb of God. Praise God. He was sinless, but he knows you and me. He knows and remembers in verse 39 that we were but flesh. We need to do the same. We should do no less than God did to us for the man of God that he put before us. Don't ever quit on your pastor if his flesh ever gets the best of him. Whether it's spiritually, physically, with the liver, or whatever's going on in the body, don't ever quit on your pastor because you have that same exact flesh. Rather, hey. emulate God's compassion and emulate God's forgiveness and emulate God's restraint and his long-suffering. We're all in the same boat, and that boat is this flesh right here. So in the uh, uh, first point, holding forth the word in Hebrews 13 and verse number 7, we do that by remembering our pastor. How do we remember our pastor? Verse number 7 in Hebrews 13 says to follow. We are to follow our pastor. This word follow does not mean we just go in the same direction that he's going. It's not follow the leader, yet it is follow the leader. But by definition of this word, it means to mimic him. There's a lot of people that will follow a church, but they're certainly not mimicking the church. They may be a Sunday Christian, but they're not a Christian when they're out in the world. They're not holding forth the word of life except when they're sitting under their pastor. This word follow, it's a Greek word, means to mimic or to model after. What are we to model after? What are we to follow? It says follow his faith. So we're to mimic the faith that he has. We're not to follow his flesh we're to follow his faith. That's what we're to follow. The flesh is going to do what? The flesh is going to fail every one of us. But our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith is not going to fail us. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. Your pastor's, your pastor's job is to feed you his faith. Your job is to follow his faith. In 1 Peter chapter number 5, in verse number 2 and 3, it says, and this is the job of your pastor. His job is to feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not or but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Your pastor is to be an example to you that you have something to mimic or to follow, and that has to be his faith. Your pastor is going to be receiving a crown. Look at verse number four. You're, he's going to receive a crown, determined by receive a crown according to how he guided you as he ran and he labored. Verse four it says, 
And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Your pastor will receive a crown according to how he leads you. How he leads you. His crown is not going to be according to the choices that you make. His rejoicing is going to be a matter of the choices that you make. But his crown is the fact that he is leading you and he's guiding you by his faith. And your choice or your decision is to follow his faith. How do we do it? Look at verse 5. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, ye younger. What's that next word? Submit yourselves to the elder, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Following is humbling, is it not? You can't have, everyone can't be its chief. You can't have a church full of pastors and chiefs. You have to have leaders. You have to have followers. Following can be humbling. Following can be very humbling. You may know more than your pastor. You may have gotten a theological degree. And the man of God that puts put that you put he put the, the man that God puts over you doesn't have the same degree. It can be very humbling for you to have to follow the man that God puts over you. But we are to submit to those that are elder and those that are put over us. Submission can be very humbling, can it not? Submit husbands and wives or to submit one to another. Everyone likes to run to the verse that says, Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> but it says also, submit one to another. Submitting can be humbling. Husbands and wives, you know how humbling that can be, don't you? <laughs> the same thing is in a church. Remember I said in the beginning, our church needs to be like a family, like a marriage. We need to be one in Christ, hey. going in one direction, led by the man that God put here, that he is running, he is laboring. You're choosing to run alongside, labor alongside, follow his faith here from, uh, um, from Hebrews chapter 13, following his faith that you can be rejoicing and he can be rejoicing one day. So our first point back in Hebrews 13 and verse number 7 is follow or holding forth the word by remembering your pastor. Look in verse 17. The second point is holding forth the word by obeying your pastor. By obeying your pastor. I may not make it through the third point, but I'll give it to you anyway. But um, obeying your pastor. Verse 17. It says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they what? Watch for your soul. Same things that are said in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 7, when it, when it says, Remember, because they're watching your soul. Now it says, Obey, because it's watching for your soul. In verse number 17, obeying them. So our second point is holding forth the word by obeying your pastor. Understand this, you can follow without obeying. You've just kind of gotten in line and you've been just following because someone behind you is going that way. You follow them because you're going, but there's really not an obedience there. We can be here today, but we might not really be here today. That's you ever right. been in a church service and sitting in the preaching of the word of God? And uh, you just had this distraction in your mind. Maybe it was the shopping list or <laughs> the bank account or something had happened at work. And all of a sudden, before you know it, they're closing in a word of prayer. And your mind is, oh, I'm back at it again. You were sitting here present and accounted for, but the distraction had your mind, mind a million miles away. We can follow without ever obeying. We can be here without ever really being here. We can be physically present and accounted for, but spiritually not even being where God would have us to be. Now, we all have distractions. Anyone sitting on a preaching 
for any length of time, you have a distraction. It's just the flesh. It's going to get the better of us. But some are always here, but never really here in the first place. So how do we obey? When we um, remember, the focus of the word was follow. Well, here the word obey, the focus is submit. It is submit. It says obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves. So first we have to follow, but now we have to submit to what we are following. And what are we supposed to be following? His faith. The faith that he is guiding you by. Why is he trying to give you his faith? Think about when you were born again, when you were saved. The moment you were born again, you were excited to get into the word of God. Exciting to be in the house of God. Excited to tell someone about what you found about the word of God. But guess what you brought with you? You brought with you some baggage. You brought with you an old life. You have a new life. You're a new creature in Christ. But you still have old sinful ways that need to be sanctified and taken care of. And if we're not careful, when the flesh gets the best of us, it starts to justify the old life with the new life. We have this old life. Well, I used to have a couple social drinks. I used to go to this place and that place. Well, didn't Jesus turn the water into wine? I'll tell you no right now. <laughs> I've already thoroughly studied it, so I can give you the answer in depth at another time. But no, he did not turn it into alcoholic wine. Let me give you just one quick thought on that, that thought since I lobbed it out there. It was during they were coming after the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Unleavened Bread, what they were supposed to do is they came into the Passover. They were supposed to sweep out every bit of leaven out of the house. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine. During that time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was leaven is corruption, there's no way Jesus would have went against his word and allowed leaven into that wine whatsoever. So study that out. There's a lot of different reasons why, but he did not. But if we're not careful, and that wine is just one that came to my mind, but you've got some baggage for that you brought from your old life, your old sinful life. And if you do not follow his faith, you start listening to uh, internet preacher so-and-so, Facebook page so-and-so, and they start to justify, boy, they really did a good dissertation on the fact that Jesus really did turn it into alcoholic wine and it makes so much sense to you. You start justifying the old life with the new life. And to that, you are to be following his faith. And the yep. reason you are to follow his faith is in verse number nine, he is protecting you against strange doctrine. Yep. There is strange doctrine that wants to take down yep. God's house today. Yep. The devil cannot prevail. Gates of hell cannot prevail. But the devil can do his best to attack you, attack your flesh, take down anything he can that you're not holding forth the truth of the word of life. And if you want to hold forth the truth of the word of life, follow his faith. Yep. He is leading you to protect you against strange doctrine. Now, Paul does an illustration here between verse number 9 and verse 17. I won't read through it for sake of time, but as you study it, Paul illustrates by the old religious life of the Jews that he was talking with, the priests that he's talking with. No longer now that they are born again is it about the sacrificial system. They did not have to go back to the Old Testament way because now they had the grace of God. No longer was it about seeking a temple or a Jerusalem or a physical city. Now it was an eternal city. And all because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, verse 14 says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. One that's to come. Verse number 10 says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Jews were still trying to hang on to the old life. 
the old ways, the baggage that they brought into their newfound salvation, and they did not want to follow the faith that the man of God put over them. He was trying to protect them against strange doctrine. Sacrificial system couldn't save. The law could never save. And all of that baggage trying to justify it into the new life, Paul is saying we don't go after an old sacrificial system. It is now once and for all sacrifice of Christ. We don't look for an, a, a Jerusalem here upon earth, but we're looking for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. No longer is there sacrifice around an altar, but as a born-again believer, now it's all about your good works. Your good works don't save you, but you are now saved unto good works, according to Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. This is the faith that the man of God is leading you. And the whole purpose that he's doing it is he's watching out for your souls. Watching for your souls. Now note this, if you refuse to submit to your pastor and you leave this church outside of the will of God, or wherever, if you're not a member of this church and you leave the church you're at outside of the will of God, but because you refuse to submit to the pastor, you'll never get the guiding that God has for you. He has you yep. here for a purpose. Yep. He lets this man of God right here, if you're a member of this church, he knows your spiritual temperature. He knows you if you're a baby Christian. He knows how to lead you into the faith. He knows if you're an older, grounded Christian, if you're the Purr and the Aaron, He knows how to lead you in the faith to protect your soul, watch for your soul, that you stay away from strange doctrine. And if you don't submit to the man God put you under and you leave the church that God puts you in, you'll never get the guiding that God has for you. You're not going to find it on the internet. We've had, we've had a detrimental two years, have we not? A lot of people were out of the house of God today and they found some good preaching on the internet. They found some good church time on Facebook. They found another independent Baptist church halfway around the world that preached some good messages. And well, that one didn't sound good today. Let's jump to this one. Therein is the problem. They're looking to what sounds good and feels good. The thing that God did to you was put you under a man that God knew would be watching your spiritual temperature. When he brings yeah. a message up here, he knows what you need. God knows what you need. I can contest to this that there's sometimes I preach some things and I have no clue why God had me preaching. Afterwards, someone will say, boy, I really needed that. I had no clue. But because that person was where God put them and God dealt with me and the message to preach that day, they got exactly what they needed. Yep. If you don't submit to the man God put you here, then you are out of the will of God. If you love your pastor and you love Christ, you're going to submit yourselves to him. Third point, Hebrews 13, 24. Holding forth the word, the first point was by remembering your pastor. The second point was by support by uh, obeying your pastor. The last point, verse 24, is by supporting your pastor. Hebrews 13, 24. Salute all them that have rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. See this now, you can have follow and you can submit without ever supporting your pastor. Without ever supporting. This word salute, it's a simple gesture. We know the military, this is a salute. Or this. He can be halfway across the parking lot and I can be doing this. How are you doing, Pastor? I have a big smile on my face. 
And you, you feel like you've done your job because you smiled at your pastor. He's halfway across the parking lot. But you've really never submitted to him. You're not really following him. This word salute is a type of gesture that goes out, but it's also an issue of the heart. Our heart, is it following? Is our heart obeying? Look how Paul uses this. Look at Romans 16. We'll kind of close with this real quick. Romans 16 uses this same Greek word salute. And it kind of draws together the word obey and the word follow. Remembering this, that your pastor's job is to look out for your soul, to watch out for strange doctrine, to run and to labor, that all together as teamwork can be holding forth the word of life. Romans 16. I'm just going to read through uh, several verses from verse number 1 and just pick out real quick without giving much explanation every time this word salute is used. In verse number 1 it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the, of the church, which is at, uh, I'll get these words right, Sincrium, uh, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a secure of many, and of myself also. Verse 3, greet. This word greet is that word salute. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers um, in Christ Jesus, who have, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Verse 5, likewise greet. Same word as salute. Greet the church that is in their house. Salute my fellow, my, excuse me, my well-beloved Patnitus, who is the first fruit of a K.I.M. in Christ. This was Paul's first convert in Asia. Verse 6 is the word salute again. It says, greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Verse 7, salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. So these were Paul's converts in prison who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 8, greet, same word for salute. Empleus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute uh, Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, uh, approved of Christ. Salute them which are of Arctibulus household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet, which is the same word salute. Them that be in the household of narcissists, uh, which are in the Lord, salute again. Are you getting a picture here? He's pulling together two words that we've already looked at, the word follow and the word obey. We remember by following, we obey by submitting. So all of these here, they're being saluted now because or greeted now because they are obeying and they are following the man of God. Verse number 13, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. This works with the convert of Paul's again um, in the ministry and his mother and mine. Salute, um, uh, I'm not going to go through all these names. Verse 16, verse 15 says salute again. Verse 16 says salute again. But look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine of which ye have learned, and avoid them. I wanted to get all the way. This is 16 verses of salute. 16 verses of greet. Focused around the two words, obey and submit. Remember by, by, remember by following, and obey by submitting. 
Remember by following, obey by submitting. That's all seen here. Remember, why does this man lead you in his faith? He watches out for your soul, that he keeps you from strange doctrines. In verse number 17, all of these have followed and obeyed, submitted and remembered. It says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them. How can you mark strange doctrine if you don't know strange doctrine? How can you mark um, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses' strange doctrine? Seventh-day Adventist strange doctrine. Catholic strange doctrine. How can you mark the strange doctrine of, of Islam? How can you mark the strange doctrine of Calvinism, of Lordship uh, 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 salvation? We go down the list and down the list and down the list. You cannot mark it if you're not following the man. If you're not following his faith, who's holding forth the word of life, and as you follow him, then you're holding him up, and you're holding up the word of life, then you are able to mark them because you can spot that strange doctrine before it ever comes through the door. You can smell a Calvinist while they're still out in the parking lot. You can spot a lordship salvationist and, and, and all the false doctrines of the word of God because you follow the faith of the man that, you, that God put you under. Because of your humble heart to submit to the guidance of the man that God placed under you, you can joyfully salute the man of God. You can greet the man of God, not waving from a distance, hi, pastor, and go your own way. But you come up and you actually greet the man of God and you salute him because you followed him, you've obeyed him, you've remembered him, you've submitted unto him, and now you're able to mark them who bring in strange doctrine. And you get to protect the purity of of this local New Testament church. You need to trust the man that God put you under. You need to follow the man that God put you under. Obey the man that God put you under. Salute the man that God put you under. And in doing so, you are holding forth the word of holding forth the word of life as a local body of believers alongside your pastor, which is the fulfillment of Philippians 2 and verse number 16. Paul commended the Philippians over and again. He commended them in their obedience, but he also said their obedience would take a dirty word, four-letter word, work. <laughs> it's going to take work. Look at Philippians 2.12. We'll close with this. We read verse number 14 through 16 as a complete sentence, but if you go back to Philippians 2 and verse number 12, Philippians 2 and verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, we went over that word, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to look at the context. You kind of see what the context of Philippians 2.16 is right now. We're going to look at work out your own salvation in one of our messages today. But what this is telling us is that if you're obedient, it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of work. His yep. hands are set heavy. Why is that? Because he's working. He's laboring. You've got a secular job. You work outside in the house of God. So you get tired. You get, you get weak. You can call on the man of God 24-7. And he'll come and help you out. He'll mow your lawn. He'll, he'll buy your groceries. He'll uh, nail up your picture frames. He'll do whatever he can to help you on the secular end. But he's there to mind you spiritually and he gets weak on the spiritual side and he calls upon you 
not to come cut his grass, not to come hang up his picture frames, but he calls you to come and hold up his arms. Yep. His weakness of what Amen. he has in holding up the word of life is the devil attacking him, attacking the same flesh that you have, just as weak as you are. He's not a super Christian. He's not superhuman. He needs you to hold him up as he's doing his best to hold you up with it all. And I would commend us today as we leave this camp from 1 Thessalonians 1 3 that we will have a work of faith, a labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of God, our Father. What are you doing to hold forth the word of life today? Well, what we saw today in Hebrews 13, you hold forth the word of life by remembering your pastor, and you remember by following. You hold forth the word of life by obeying your pastor, and you do that by submitting. And you hold forth the word of life by supporting your pastor, and that is saluting him and greeting him and encouraging him as he does his utmost to run not in vain, and to labor not in vain, to hold forth the word of life and teach you as well to hold it up. And as a team, this word of life goes out here to Auckland and to the uttermost part of the world because you've labored side by side and hold forth that word of life before the lost and dying world. With those thoughts on holding forth the word of life, we can stand and close in a word of prayer. Told you I wouldn't stay till midnight. I didn't have a clock, so I just let her rip. But I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now as we go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to be challenged by the message. My prayer in the beginning, and my prayer is this in every service that I have, is that everyone here will walk out a better Christian than you walked in as. If you're a baby Christian, a baby believer, you've got a lot of baggage. You may want to justify the old life with the new life and not want, want, want to con condemn instead of commend the man of God. You follow his faith and you will be where God needs you to be and be strengthened that you can go out and teach others also. If you are a man of God, a woman of God, and you've been in this church a while, you've been a born-again believer for a while, beware. Don't think that you can stand on your own. Don't think that your arms can hold it up on your own. There's a man named Demas in the Word of God. He was a fellow neighbor, a fellow, fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. And all that we know about him is that he fell to the world. We have that same flesh as the pastor has. We have the same flesh as a babyest Christian in here has. We can fall today if we are not careful. Let's be strengthened as we leave here today. Let's lift up our arms, holding forth the word of life, and lift up our pastor's arms. Lift up one another's arms as we hold forth that word of life. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if God's touched your heart in any way, do business with God right now. Take it to the throne of grace. Don't wait to the last day. If you're not a born-again believer, Talk to someone today. You come forward, someone can point you through the Word of God how you can know you have an eternal home in heaven. If you're not right with God today as a born-again believer, if you have not been in, you've been here, but you're not in, or you're in the wrong place, you've left the church and you never should have, you come talk to the pastor. You get down on your knees with him and go to the Lord in prayer. Seek through the Word of God, following the guidance that God gave to this man to help you in your faith uh, as he watches out for your soul. With your head bowed and eyes closed. Pastor. Continue to bow your head. Close your eyes. The message is very simple. Very clear. And if the Lord is speaking to you in whatever part of the uh, um, sermon, um, it's time now for us to uh, give it to the Lord. Whatever desire that you have in your heart right now, <coughs> 
And I know, Lord, that you work in so many hearts tonight. And thank you, Father, for allowing us to, to hear. Lord, um, we ought to, um, um, to do the right thing in our church, in our personal life, in our way of life. And Lord, uh, the word of life of God must be um, put in place so that all of us may rejoice at the day of Christ. Lord, thank you very much for uh, giving us victory for our first night. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to work throughout this camp. Continue, Lord, to work in the hearts of your people. And we praise you, God. We praise you and magnify your name. And thank you, Lord, for um, um, awakening in our hearts. And Lord, um, something that I can remember myself, like listening when I was younger, in one of those camp nights, very similar spirit that moved in my heart tonight. Very similar spirit that worked in my heart for so many years when I when I went to camp. And Lord, thank you for Pastor Howard for using him tonight. Lord, um, bless him and bless all of us. And continue, Lord, to uh, cover us with your arms of protection. That, Lord, um, you will um, prepare all of us for the victory for the rest of the week. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. We will um, uh, be seated all, but Brother uh, Franks will have a special instruction for the people so that uh, they will know uh, what to do. Okay.